So there were so many things we could have talked about this year in 2017. It took me a, a long time just to meditate and get clear because there were so many things that, that we need to know and hear about. But this is probably one of my favorite ones. And the Holy Ghost said, talk to him about a legacy of giving. Because if there's one thing that moms do naturally in more ways than your kids will ever know until they have kids and experience that is, is giving. But that doesn't apply, obviously, just to financial remuneration. That applies probably mostly to everything but that. So a legacy of giving. So who's the original giver? God. So John 3.16. So the only way that we're going to uh, be able to teach our children a legacy of giving is to show them how God did it. So turn with me to the book of John. Chapter 3, verse 16, and I'm sure you know it well. You know, giving, though, is not an act that we do. It's not a moment or once-a-week event that we do at church. It's a lifestyle. It's the flow of our lives, and it overflows into every single area of our lives. So we need to know how to instruct our children the way to do it properly. John 3, 16, for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he gave. So there's a natural motivation when we say we love someone or something. We're going to have a natural inclination that we don't have to force ourselves to be givers. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But you know me, I like to read it in the Greek paraphrase. So let's read it like it should read. For God so in this way, greatly loved. In other words, God's going to identify the way he loved. So he's getting ready to tell us that his love was not in words. Love is actually a verb. Anybody here in teach school? It's an action word. That's not something we say. I was talking to somebody on the phone the other day. It was funny because we have these, I recommend a great book to you called uh, The Five Languages of Love by Gary Chapman. And so he identifies that there's five main, main uh, ways that, that humans feel love, whether you have words of affirmation, somebody says nice things to you, acts of service, they do something for you, uh, touch, you know, physically touch, that's not sex, that's just affection. And um, quality time, they spend quality time with you, maybe not doing things, but talking to you face to face. And then gifts, maybe some people feel really love when people buy them something. And so somebody was telling me that um, their love language was words of affirmation. And that's really awesome. And so I thought I need to write that down because that's an area that's kind of low on my my totem pole. And I said, you know, basically my dialect for every one of those five is action. So it doesn't matter, you know, which one of those it was. Love is proved by action. And not, and not just words. So there are many ways that we can show uh, love, but God connotated, he decided that it would be in our actions. It, if you love me, you obey, which is an action. So he wouldn't need you to say, you know, God, I love you so much if your actions didn't line up with it. So he said, for God in this way, greatly loved and dearly prized that he gave, he delivered and granted his only son that whoever believes has faith and trust in, placed themselves into, cling to, and relied on continuously with forward motion. That person would not perish, be destroyed, or lose anything, but have perpetual life in this life and the one to come. Now, that's a little different, right? That reads a little bit different. But that's John 3.16. That's powerful. So God authorized the way that he was going to give in the same way we could give. And so moms generally are just living that kind of life every day. But, you know, our kids are, are not doing so much of what we say. They're, they're, they're watching our life. 
And so I remember, uh, and your kids sometimes, even though you say something, anybody ever said something that was misunderstood by their child? <laughs> or there was miscommunication or was not adhered to, or what you said was definitely not what they heard? One time I told Pastor Josh, he was very young, we had a cat, to go empty the cat uh, litter into the, the toilet because it was the scoopable, flushable, okay? So this was a very common thing. You scoop the poop and you put it in the toilet, and this kind you could flush. So, uh, but once a month or whatever, I would show him that he had to empty the whole cat box into a paper bag, clean the box out, and put fresh cat litter in, okay? And so I told him, I said, now go, go empty the cat box. So he comes out about a five, ten minutes later and says, Mom, there's a problem. He's in, in their little second bathroom in our apartment in Tulsa. And I walk into the bathroom, and there's this item that, uh, that reminds me distinctly of my sixth-grade science project, which was a volcano. Only this volcano is sitting in the toilet. And it's about 18 inches tall by about 12 inches wide. <laughs> and I'm like, and this is one of those times where you don't know how to be mad or just like crack up, but you don't want them to see you laugh because this is really bad. Okay. <laughs> He's like, you said to empty the cat box, you know, in, 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 into the toilet, but I didn't exactly say it like that. I'm like, yeah, but you've seen me do it this way, like how many times? So he's in there pouring, pouring, pouring. And because this is that kind of cat litter, it absorbs. Well, you're not flushing a volcano down a toilet that's got a two-inch hole. And so I tell go get a trash bag and a spoon from the kitchen, which was not to be returned to the kitchen. <laughs> and scoop that thing out with a pair of gloves. So he's scooping this volcano out of the toilet. And, and I did laugh. I was like, oh, my God. And, of course, it was all over the bathroom. It practically needed to be pressure washed. We were done. But lesson learned. So your kids' moms are watching. The moral of that story is, yeah, they're, they're watching your life. And no matter what you say, they're still going to do what it is you're doing. So things need to be a natural flow of your life. Amen? And, and make sure you're more clear on the cat box. We cannot receive Christ, the anointed one and his anointing, on our own terms, or our ruin is upon our own heads. We must give ourselves up to be ruled, taught, and saved by him as our Lord. So, moms, your, your life can't be compartmentalized. And, and many times in a family, kind of the mom is more the spiritual leader. Unfortunately, that's not the way it should be. Or they get the kids off to Sunday school or they have the kids read their Bible. But don't teach your kids that you can compartmentalize your Christianity, that it's something you do on Sundays or only mom does. It needs to be a flow of your whole life. They need to see that it's, it's one life. It's not something we do at church and not at home, because if we're, t if we're teaching our kids that we can receive Christ on our own terms, what a lot of people are teaching their children is you can receive Jesus as his Savior, but not your Lord. Well, where's your scripture for that? Just because you think you can doesn't mean you can. Yeah, and so it's, it's an, God is an all or nothing God, and, and that we appreciate about him, don't we? So the legacy of giving that we're teaching our children is moms is actually how to walk in daddy's shoes. How do we walk in our father's footsteps? It doesn't matter um, if we felt like we didn't have a good example. Maybe you didn't have a good example of your own. It doesn't matter because right here, John three sixteen, Jesus is your example. And, and maybe you think you, you raised your kids and you didn't raise them in the Lord. That doesn't matter. 
today is a fresh start because whether your children are grown, you're going to have grandchildren. And the Bible says this about women. Older women are to teach the younger women. That means when you're in this house, I'm your mama because it's our job. It's my job as a pastor's wife to teach them how to conduct themselves in the house of God in partnership with their parents. It shouldn't be opposite. If it's opposite, not my fault. And so that's our instruction. So it doesn't matter if you didn't do it up till this morning. We get to start now. And anything you learn, it's more than the people have behind you. You don't need to wait to pass it on. And so I would tell the boys, hey, I'm 40, I'm learning this, you're 20, you're getting it now. No reason for you to fall in the same pothole. Climb out of your pothole, post a sign that says go around. Hopefully they would read it and do it, not always. <laughs> so we're walking in our father's footsteps. Our children are going to follow our actions. And so we're, we're, our job right now today is begin to teach everybody around us, moms, ladies, um, how to walk in their father's footsteps. Okay, because maybe you're not always doing it right, but it's okay to be honest. I would tell my kids, I'm going to let you see my press. There's no such thing as perfection here. So you don't need to let them see perfection. What you're going to see is the press. Paul said, I press. We've not obtained it. And so if you mess it up, you just own it. I'm sorry. I did that wrong. Please forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. I meant what I said, but how I said it was wrong. And so they see your press. And when they drop the bottle of salad dressing and, and, and they come and they say, I'm sorry, mom. No, it's don't be sorry. Be different. Okay. Now what are we going to do about it? So you're going to go in there and you're going to clean the salad dressing up. Number one, you're going to fix it. Number two, you're going to do chores to go down and buy a new bottle and replace it. And so why? We're not teaching them because we're perfect. We're teaching them to be perfect as their heavenly father is perfect so they can win in life. Because there may become a day when you're not there. And so you need to have them walk in daddy's shoes. And there's not a one of us today that can't start teaching how to walk in daddy's shoes, right? Yeah. So Paul said, "Uh, follow me as I follow Christ. So as you're pressing... That's all you're asking them to do. Pay attention and press with me. So turn to 1 John chapter 4. Skip a few books to the right. This, we were in John. Now you're going to go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4 verse 17 says this. In this union and communion with him. In other words, there's a particular union and communion. Love is brought to completion and obtains perfection with us that we may have confidence for the day of judgment with assurance and boldness to face him because as he is, so are we in this world. So as Jesus is God demonstrated his action of love towards us, that's what all God's asking us to do. And moms kind of, again, have a natural affinity to just live their life in a loving way, very sacrificially. But if you're not actually explaining to your kids as you're doing it, why, um, I grew up and my mom did the best she could, like all parents, with what they were taught. But our job is to get the word and to do better. And so my prayer is that my kids will do better than I did. But she would say, uh, when I'd say why, she said because, or because I said so. And so I understood that that was probably not the ideal thing with my kids. And so every time uh, Pastor Josh and John asked why, we took them to the scripture. And if we didn't know it, we found it. And it's okay to find it together. Well, you know, that's a very good question. Let's see what God's word has to say. Make her in line with the word. Or we already knew the answer. Why? So that his faith did not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God and the salvation. Because there would come a day when he had to decide, and John had to decide, what they would base their belief system on. And because I said, was certainly not going to be good enough to build a life on and succeed. And so we show him in the word of God. So in that, they can grow. So as he is, so are we in this world. In his love is demonstrated in his giving of his all. So is it wrong to give all? 
Because I, I hear people all the time saying, well, you don't need to give that much. That's too much. Can you outgive God? If God said in, you are as he is in this world and he gave his all, then why can't we give our all? There's no such thing as too much. There's one thing is too much. Him, he's a too much God. He said, I'm too much. I'm more than enough. So should we be more than enough and too much of the people? So can you tithe too much? Does tithing have to be 10%? No, it can be 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 and 60. Mr. Tropicana ties 90% and lives off 10 and he's a multimillionaire on 10. You can have whatever you want to believe for. Amen. So his love was demonstrated in giving his all. So it's okay, moms, to give, to, to give your all. So turn to John 15. Go back to the, to the book of John and turn to chapter 15. Amen? Legacy of giving, walking in our Father's footsteps. Jesus said this, No one has greater love or has shown stronger affection than to lay down and give up his own life for his friends. Now that is a highly intriguing verse. If you look it up in the Greek, because it says to lay down and we all think, yeah, I know what that means. It means to lay down, but that word lay down in the Greek means to stand in an upright position. But the word lay down also means literally horizontally. So like, how can you be horizontal and upright at the same time? There we have the figurative and the literal. And so when he said to lay down your life means you have taken the horizontal position on your knee as a servant to people, but to take such a strong, powerful, brave position, you must be able to stand upright. In other words, it's this position. I will be the doorway through which all prosperity walks into the lives of people. That is the quintessential perfect servant statement. I will be the doorway through which all prosperity walks into the lives of everyone around me. That is a horizontal servanthood standing in the upright, righteous position of God, taking nothing for yourself, but being a conduit. So you see how you can do both. One is figurative. You're going to have to figuratively lay down your life horizontally and take nothing for yourself. And, but literally every day you need to be in an upright standing position, very strong in faith. That's why your little pen says what it says. What does it say? The little pen we got you. That's right. Stronger your faith, the stronger your walk. So Romans 12, one though says, Paul said, this was our reasonable service that you present your body, a living sacrifice. And he he didn't say, oh, wow, that's big. That's unreasonable. No, he said, that's just a reasonable service. In other words, you're not rewarded for that. We don't get paid for making our bed, right? Not supposed to anyway, at least. So our whole lives are to be laid down in service. So people are the beneficiary of that service, are they not? How do we show God love? By how we treat other people. So humans are simply the beneficiary of our love for God. So it doesn't matter how they treat you back, right? Because that's just how they're treating God. And the reason you treated them well is because not they were so awesome and perfect and earned it and deserved it. But you treated them that way because you loved God. And so it's just a conduit. Matthew 8.10 says, freely you've received and freely you've given. So you have to remind yourself every day, moms, to, walk, to teach your kids to walk in your daddy's footsteps. You didn't earn the right to be born. And you certainly didn't deserve it. So the fact that you are freely given life and freely offered eternal life 
upon entering into this world. You've been given everything you have. The Bible says he's given you all things for second, first Peter three, eight that pertain to life and godliness have been given to you. So there's nothing that you obtained by your own might and power. How could you possibly withhold that from somebody else and think we were within our rights? Yes, therefore you can't give. So free, and, and he's not re- re- referring the fact that, yeah, you went out and worked eight hours and you traded time for dollars. But who gave you breath in your lungs when you got up to be able to go to that job? Who gave you the mental capacity in your brain to function that job? So freely you still receive. So out of that, you can freely give. Amen? So there's nothing that we, can, we have the right to hold on to. In my home growing up, now maybe you didn't have this benefit. This just made this, made this part of the word a little bit easy for me. But again, if you did not have a benefit of an example for your parents, we all have the word of God. And there's no one that's cheated out of the most perfect parental example right here. But in my home growing up, uh, things that are discussed today in the, in the house of God were never a discussion. I never, and I could be wrong, but I never once my entire life overheard my parents discuss whether we would be attending church that week. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It wasn't a discussion. And we just went. It was a lifestyle. They, my dad never had to sit us down. Now, kids, get ready. We're going to church. Make sure you're on time. No, it was just what we did. Whatever our parents did, we did. I also never heard the discussion about tithing. I was acutely aware as a young child of the concept of the word of tithing and that we were tithers. But my father never sat us down and had a single conversation about the subject of tithing. It was just what we did. It was the flow of their lives. It was the flow of the conversation. We also never had a discussion in our home about giving offerings. I never heard my parents say they want too much down there at the church. They're always asking for help. They always want us to be on the ministry of service team. In fact, I never saw my father sit in a pew. He never sat with us in church because he was an usher and he served and he never, he never was grudging. He never once complained. I never heard out of his mouth. Oh, I got to get up early and be down there. And I'm just on my feet all day after he's worked his own 120 hour work week. And my mom, oh, they want us to make this for the bazaar. This person needs clothing or this person needs food or this person needs a place to live. Every discussion in our home about my mom and dad was what can we do? This is going on in the church. You're not going to be there. And, and we were there for the bazaar, for whatever was going on beyond. And our neighbors were actually uh, church members uh, with us, my next door neighbors. So the, I was so blessed because it was just the flow of their lives. And therefore, for, for my kids, it was the flow of their lives. So they took me to Oxford Exchange yesterday, one of my favorite places, best latte in the world. And uh, I said, hey, kids, by the way, let me just ask you, um, was this a, your, your experience growing up in, in our home for, for Pastor Josh and John? And then Kate uh, didn't grow up in our home, but she grew up in, in a similar home. And they were able to articulate, yeah, mom, this was the flow of your life. You didn't sit us down and said, we do this, this, and this. We did teach them the concept of tithing, probably a little bit more in a practical way. And I'll share that with you. But it was a flow of their life. And it was not a discussion whether we were going to do it or it was too much or should we or do we need to pray about it. And so I asked them, I said, was this your experience? And they said, yeah. And he and John had, had different things to share from their perspective. And so that's why, um, I, I think, uh, pastor Josh and Kate just moved into this year in what we call an elite giver. There's runners and then there's elite runners. And so they, they've, they've upped their game and he's 30 and that's the time to do it. And so we've, we developed some elite givers. In other words, there's no such thing as all, how can I give all if there's an endless supply? I've given, I've emptied my bank account more than once, all of it, but that still wasn't all because it just keeps, keeps on a coming, right? 
And so there's no such thing as even giving your all. It sure is fun trying. So we have Jesus as our example. It's not just, it's not a walk. And it's not just a talk, I should say. It's a walk. It's a lifestyle. It's a lived life and a life lived. And so moms, we have the best opportunity to share that with with the children in our lives, whether you're an aunt, a mother, a grandmother, want to be a mom. It doesn't matter. Uh, Here's a principle you need to know um, that will help you teach. What you spend your money, you spend your life on. So that's one thing you can be practical. There's principle, which is what we're talking about. But you can actually sit down with your kids at the kitchen table and get some real practical protocol, how-to with this biblical principle. What you spend your money on is what you spend your life on. So you're like, well, I don't understand that, how that goes. Look at your checkbook and look where your money goes and make sure they, they're able to uh, also be able to do that with their money from a very young age. Are they spending their money on video games? That's what you're spending your life on. If you're spending your money on fast food, that's what you're spending your life on. And it certainly will show up in your body when you hit a certain age. <laughs> and until then, if it doesn't show up this way, it shows up in other ways, like you have no energy. You have less energy than those that are 50 around you. And so what you spend your money on, you spend your life on. So I would say really practical this morning, moms, teach your kids from when they're pre-kindergarten. In other words, if they're old enough to talk, some of them are old enough to have a good conversation around two or three. Number one, that you earn money only for extra chores. Don't pay your kids for making their bed. Don't pay your children for their normal, reasonable contribution as a family member. It removes their self-respect and dignity. And don't let them not make their bed, too. You don't mind if I get real practical with you today. Okay. And so uh, making your bed is not an option, and no, you're not getting paid for it, okay, because uh, your boss did not pay you for just showing up. So uh, don't pay them for what's their reasonable service. And then the moment they start to earn money for extra chores, those are helping with mama and daddy's chores or, or somebody else's chores, uh, teach them about tithing. And make it easy for them. Taking One of the favorite things that Melly and I used to get in our stockings is coins. We'd get rolls of pennies and quarters or nickels or dimes, and that was really fun. That made it easy for us to give God his portion and to, and to learn, okay, this is 10% way before we were actually doing the math in school. So make it easy for them. So it was exciting for us to get our little money together to take to church on Sunday. It was not a drudgery. We didn't have to be reminded, oh, Johnny, do you have your little 20 cents from your little white plastic church bank that you're going to take? No, we, we, we set it aside on Saturday, and we were excited to take it down and put it in the offering in Sunday school. So teach them that the first 10% goes to God, but tell them why. It's because he gave. And this is our reasonable service and everything we have, including Johnny, this dime today is because Jesus gave it to us. So we get an opportunity to give it back. And the really cool thing about God that's different than anybody else is he's going to multiply that and give it right back to you. And nobody else will do that for you, but God and God alone, because his love is perfect and because he can. And so they'll get excited. They'll get a lot more excited than you because they'll just actually believe it and do it. So then uh, offerings, teach them, you know, when the missionary or special offering comes through, that's something, purpose in their heart. There's times that my kids wanted to give everything. I didn't say, well, you need to save that back because, you know, Friday night you might want to get to go to the movie and you're not going to get to go. Don't talk them out of their offering. If they want to empty all their bank account, let them do it. Like God's not big enough to give them back to that. My kids needed to develop faith that went beyond my ability in my household. So if they were 16 and Pastor Josh wanted to give $200 and it was for something that he needed, he needed to give it. And then I needed to stretch my faith too. He wasn't doing it so that I could replace it. 
Let them grow their faith beyond where yours is. What's wrong with that? You hope they'll take care of you when you're old, right? <laughs> Fan that flame. Savings. Let them open a savings account. There's a, there's a bank that uh, no charge for savings or checking. So there's no reason that, that five bucks, I can't go open a, a savings account. And they need to learn to set that aside. From the very first moment they start earning money, you need to teach them that you're not living off 100%. You're living off 60 at the most. Because tie 10%, you did offerings, you did savings, and then you had investments. And so you're living off 60%. And from the beginning, they will never, moms, they will never have a money problem. Grandma, they'll never have a money problem. Aunt, they'll never have a money problem. There's no such thing as a money problem. There's only wisdom problems. And we got enough of those. We don't need to pass them on to our kids. If we take our kids immediately to the word of God, and that's why we've changed a lot of the curriculum in Genesis, King's Kids and Faith Academy. We've worked with these interns so that they would, they would have these principles when we did not. And they could win in life from day one, not have to grow up and have what we call a testimony. How about a testimony from our kids of the keeping power of God? I was kept all my life by the word and the spirit. Because if you get one of those testimonies that everybody thinks are real great right now, you probably won't make it back. Yeah, because there's a press in the earth. So we want them to have a testimony that God kept them. So teach them about biblical finances because giving's not just a dollar issue. It's an honor issue in their lives. And every moment of our lives, we are either honoring or dishonoring God with every dollar we spend. And if you're teaching them that now, before you spend this dollar, little Johnny, let's talk about the honor of it. Is that that purchase going to honor God in your life? They'll help be able to make better decisions than you made about your finances. And that'll be thrilling to both you, them and God. Here's what you need to teach them too: don't buy what you want, then beg for what you need. Because they're adult, adults in that position. They get their paychecks and you let them go buy whatever they want. Their iPhone or their iPad or whatever. And then they want, when they need something, they need money for even a school activity. You think it's your job to pay for it. No, you first, when your money comes in, you buy what you need. Then if there's anything left, you buy what you want. We have this very, very upside down. Because the Bible doesn't say that parents are obligated to provide all those things for their kids. So don't let them buy what they want and then beg for what they need. That's called debt. You're bankrupting tomorrow for today's pleasure. Yeah, it's your own tomorrow you're bankrupting. So Luke twelve thirty four says this, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So when they're very young, you want them to put their treasure into the kingdom of God because it says where they put their treasure, their heart follows it. So their heart doesn't have to be there to put a treasure there. But where they keep putting treasure, their heart will follow that. So can you direct your heart? Yes. Yeah, so in other words, you in charge of your emotions. Okay, if you're not feeling so good, or you don't like those feelings or emotions, change them. They do not have to go. You do not have to, to be forced to feel or think what you're feeling and thinking. You can direct your heart by putting treasure there, and your heart will start to move. So, so if they're always in God's house serving. They're always in God's house sewing. Moms, they won't be 18, and they're not in God's house anymore. Because all their life, you develop the ability for them to have their heart where their treasure was. And they're like, I'm not. I'm staying right here watching over this investment. Yeah, and so they're not going to depart from those things. You don't have to give anything to receive Jesus except give him your heart. But to make him Lord and follow him, you're going to have to give everything. And why shouldn't we? So it costs you nothing to believe in Jesus. But your kids need to know to follow him, it will cost you everything. But this is what you teach them. The price you think you're paying is never greater than the prize. 
There is absolutely no way that you're going to pay a price that God does not going to have a greater prize for. So yeah, it might feel like a sacrifice. Nothing wrong with that. That's our reasonable service, a living sacrifice. It's not wrong in our society to feel like you're doing something sacrificial. Amen. The word promises the price will never be greater than the price. The word says it, so therefore it's true. So there's phases of childbearing mom. I call, I call them phases. There's the caretaking years, ages zero to six, where you're doing everything for them. Maybe you can stop a little younger, stop as soon as you can, where you're doing everything for them. And then I call it the school years. You're kind of showing them everything that they're to do. And that's up to about the age, probably, you know, 11, six to 11. Uh, is your school years. Then your, your apprenticeship years where you're watching over them to observe where they still need instruction. They're making some of their own decisions, but they still need some instruction. And so that's at about age 11, what I write here, uh, 12 to 18. Um, mentorship years is about 18 to 23. Do you all know that your frontal lobe where decisions are made is not formed till you're 22? And yet we're having 16-year-olds make life-altering decisions because we think that we're in an episode of Gilmore Girls. You're their BFF. <laughs> That's fun to watch. It's not fun to live. And so you need to partner in them with their decisions. That's why they're apprenticing. You're observing their ability to make decisions. You're teaching them to make decisions long before you, you hit 18 and they went off to college and then they just go crazy. They don't know how to make a good decision about what time to go to bed because the frontal lobe's not fully formed. So expecting things out of them just because society says you should doesn't make it right. And so you still are in an apprenticeship years and and they might resist that. Do your job. Amen. That's why you're the parent and they're the child. You're not their friend. Uh, Mentorship years are 18 to 23. Again, when the frontal lobe is fully formed. And then I call launching years, age 23 on. This is when they can start running with God and eventually running with you. Okay. And so you're, you're launching them out and they're going to be after, if they're out from under your home. Now, if they're in your home, You're not parenting them as an adult, but uh, they do have to obey the rules of the home. And that's where people kind of get confused. Children obey. That's children, 18 and under in our society. Or if they're in your home, they respect the rules in your home. But the Bible says that you obey and honor. So we may leave off the obedience part when we're no longer children, but we don't leave off the honor part. But if you didn't teach them the honor part their whole life, that's a little bit challenging for them right now. And and understand this, that honor is the doorway through which all prosperity walks into their lives. So that honor is not something you want to leave out of um, the, the rearing and the upbringing of children. That's why we teach the children how to honor their parents and authority in the children's ministry here. So stable and faithful, too. And so, yes, the consistency of faith in living this Christian life, moms can be boring for you and for them. But the best thing you can do is be stable and consistent because I think Pastor Josh was telling us, or actually it was, it was John, yesterday at the, at the lunch table, he said, I've seen in the last five years the prosperity come to you that you sowed for for the first 20 So So he's now seeing it, but he's not in the household of God anymore, but he's watching yeah, and so like that stability and that consistency. And so you may feel like um, the men of old, we may die in faith, not having received the promise. And there's a problem with that. If we're going to die, shouldn't we die in faith? Okay, because you're going to die. Death is the death that all men pay, right? Unless the Lord uh, comes back in the rapture for us. So that you, you want to die in faith if you're going to die, and you will at some point. 
So without commitment, you're never going to start. And without consistency, you'll never finish. So these are principles. Our, our world, our society tells us at any moment that you decide you're bored or feel displeasure or discomfort, you should stop and change it up. Don't listen to that. Stop reading the magazines and stop watching the TV. They don't know what they're talking about. Okay, that's not going to serve you and your kids well in the long run. There is a continuance and sometimes a routine to faith that feels a little bit boring, but it works. Um, believing costs you nothing, but following costs you everything. So can they give their time and their lives and themselves and their talents? Yeah, teach them that it's okay to give all that. There is no love without commitment, and the level of love that they have is proved by their level of commitment. Okay, so uh, teach them what's ask, have your kids uh, ask this, uh, themselves this question. What's worth giving to and investing in, even if I think I might fail or don't see a harvest? And before you ask them that, you go home this week and you sit down and you write your own list. What is worth giving to, giving my life into, not just my money, but my time, but my faith, my prayers, giving my whole life to it, if I don't see a harvest and if I fail? And see if you can make a list. So I, I made my own list on that to see if it was actually the exact same thing I'm doing. In other words, if there's no heaven to gain and there's no hell to shun, and I'm wrong about this thing called Christianity, I still choose to be a Christian and live like this. Nobody's making me do it. Yeah, and so there's going to come a day when they, if for them going to serve God, they have to decide they're not living on your faith. And are they going to do it if there's nothing to gain? And here's the, the end of the deal. If there's nothing to gain and I'm wrong, I've got nothing to lose. But if you're wrong, you've got everything to lose. Yeah. And so um, some people are better off going down to Vegas and rolling the dice like a crapshoot with their life. So crusades is what I invest my life in. What does it equal? Souls. Maybe I don't see them. Maybe I never meet them. Maybe I don't know how many you got saved. But is that worth it still? Yeah. Bible school. Having this Bible school. What does it get? Trained soldiers. Maybe they're, they're here working and I'm not here anymore on the earth. Was that worth it? Yeah. So regardless of whether I'm seeing it or reaping anything from it or think I failed. And, I, and it only shows up behind me. It's worth it. Interns. Next generation of soldiers and harvesters. Counseling, all the counseling we do on here. Yeah, aiding people in their race, helping runners run faster and better. The service team training, people kick against that, talk about it. It's really tough. It's real fun to be in charge of that. Um, yeah, mi creating ministers of service to God, uh, his people in his house. Is that worth my life's investment? Yeah, so make a list and make sure everything you're doing falls into that list. And if there's something that doesn't fall into that list, like Pastor said, change it up. Yeah, because you want to know that, that when, if, if the Lord tarries and life goes on, the legacy you left, uh, people, other people are reaping a harvest from it at least. Yeah, so it needs to be worthy of that. And you want to train your kids to be making those choices, and their money is tied to it. Gratitude, lack of gratitude. Hard times are going to come. And just because they're sower and they're tither and they're giving doesn't mean hard times won't come. But what, what you cry about today, you'll laugh about tomorrow if you don't complain about it. And so gratitude is honor's companion. And so they need to be grateful for, the, for what they have. And uh, like Pastor was saying, you know, he always tells the story we're eating our last can of tomato soup. Well, that's First Kings. <laughs> and so she was going to eat her last meal and die. Well, so were we. In the middle of the perfect will of God. See, when he tells stories, he leaves out some details. In Bible school, perfect will of God, working as hard as we can, tithing, doing everything, and getting ready to eat your last can of soup. So circumstances do not dictate my measure of obedience. And so what are you going to do? Eat that last can of soup and die. 
Yeah, but he gets a call. We go to work. We still go to work anyway. And so God's basically going to have to bring a raven to, to feed us. So people say, you don't understand what I'm going through. Yeah, you have no idea. Yeah, we try to make it light and funny, but if you were there, it wouldn't have been light or funny. Yeah, and so uh, the reason that we're stable is because we have a lot of stories and we've been through a lot of hardships. So um, even if you're eating your last can of tomato soup with your kids and you're going to die, still. <laughs> so get up, get dressed, wash your face, go to church, take your offering, take your last night. The widow woman with two mites, why that was so profound for Jesus, her two mites, each of those was worth a quarter of a penny. And those two mites were worth six minutes of work. It was the smallest Roman coin. It was worth nothing. And this was her last two mites. What is she going to do? I'm going to take my last pennies and put it in the offering and die. So this is why God took note of it. And Jesus was watching all these wealthy people. That's wonderful. They're putting in a hundred bucks, a hundred pounds of gold. That's really awesome. But what did he say when this woman did that? He said, wait a minute, everybody stop. I want to point something out to you because giving your all at whatever level is acceptable to God moms. And it is the right way to teach our kids. So if you've just got one can of soup left, you're better off giving it than eating it. Like it's going to help you. Yeah. Not eating it, but sowing it certainly will. Because God is able to multiply it at the minimum 30-fold, right? So you get 30 more cans or 60 more cans, so 100 more cans. So it's better to sow it than to eat it anyway. And so you can teach them those principles, walking in daddy's shoes. Give their time, themselves, their all. So what is it? The walk, the footsteps of Jesus. The talk is his word. The motion is peace. The action is joy. The law is love. The life is sacrifice, the cost, everything, the price, priceless, the worth. Are you still interested? If they give their all, they'll reap his all. So the price that they pay will never be greater than the prize. So mother's legacy, teach them a legacy of giving. Amen.